Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to the Science of Success with your host, Matt Bonner. Welcome to the Science of Success. I'm your host, Matt Bodner. I'm an entrepreneur and investor in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm obsessed with the mindset of success and the psychology of performance. I've read hundreds of books, conducted countless hours of research and study, and I'm going to take you on a journey into the human mind and what makes peak performers tick. With a focus on always having our discussions rooted in psychological research and scientific fact, not opinion. In this episode, we discuss what to do if you don't know what you want to be when you grow up. We look at the concept that you only have one true calling. We learn how to become a better big picture thinker. We look at the superpowers you can develop by becoming a multi-potentialite. We talk about how to master rapid learning and cultivate beginner's mind, the fallacy behind the phrase, the jack of all trades, and much more with Emily Wapnick. The Science of Success continues to grow with now more than a million downloads, listeners in over 100 countries hitting number one new and noteworthy and more. I get listener comments and emails all the time asking me, Matt, how do you organize and remember all this incredible information? A lot of our listeners are curious how I keep track of all the incredible knowledge I get from reading hundreds of books, interviewing amazing experts, listening to awesome podcasts, and more. Because of that, we've created an epic resource just for you, a detailed guide called How to Organize and Remember Everything. And you can get it completely for free by texting the word SMARTER to the number 44222. Again, it's a guide we created called How to Organize and Remember Everything. All you have to do to get it is to visit successpodcast.com and join our email list or text the word SMARTER to the number 44222. That's S-M-A-R-T-E-R to the number 44222. 
In our previous episode, we discussed emotional agility and how you can cultivate it. Discover that beneath your emotions are the signposts of the things that you value most. Learn how to make space for emotions and embrace a willingness to experience difficult emotions. We talked about why it's vital to understand the distinction that emotions are meaningful but not always correct. We talked about how you can piggyback your habits to create very powerful strategies to live more aligned with your values and much more with Dr. Susan David. If you want to uncover the incredible truths hidden behind your emotions, listen to that episode. Lastly, if you want to get all the awesome information, links, transcripts, everything we're going to talk about in this episode and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. Just go to successpodcast.com and hit the show notes button at the top. Today, we have another fascinating guest on the show, Emily Wapnick. Emily is a speaker, career coach, founder of the popular blog, Putty Like, and author of the book, How to Be Everything, a guide for those who still don't know what they want to be when they grow up. Her TED Talk has been viewed more than 3.7 million times, translated into over 36 languages. Her work has been featured in Fast Company, Forbes, Lifehacker, and many more places. Emily, welcome to the Science of Success. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're very excited to have you on here today. So for listeners who may not be familiar with you and, and, and some of the work you do, tell us your story and how you got started on this journey. Sure. So growing up, I had a lot of different interests. I um, played guitar and sang in a band. I was into various artistic mediums. I liked English, you know, kind of built websites, jumped around a lot. Uh, I actually, I went to law school. I've got two law degrees. So I'm not, I'm not listing all these things off to, to brag. It's more to say that I was very confused and that I was very curious and had a lot of different interests. And so, you know, I, looking back, I see how this enriched my life and how I picked up all kinds of amazing skills all over the place. But at the time it really caused me a lot of anxiety and I didn't really understand what was going on or why I couldn't stick with one thing. So I worried a lot about my career and, you know, what I was going to end up doing and being and uh, how I would ever stick with, with one job forever. So in my mid twenties, I had this, this moment where I kind of made the choice to stop fighting this impulse, to stop fighting my desire to do and and be and learn about many different things and to instead say, okay, this is how I'm wired. I'm going to try and figure out how to make it work, practically speaking. And so I started blogging and I started sharing my ideas and learning from other people who were doing many different things, how they were making it work, financially speaking, and sharing what I was learning. And I, you know, I had this idea, like maybe I can create a community of people who don't want to just do one thing and we can figure this out together. And that was in 2010. So I've been at that for a while now. It's turned into a few different things. But yeah, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. <laughs> so, you know, tell me a little bit, tell me about that community that you created. And I'm assuming that's, that's putty-like. And, and what is. exactly does it mean to be putty-like? Yeah. So to be putty-like means to be malleable, flexible, adaptable. You know, I kind of like use the metaphor of putty, which changes shape, you know, it's, it's malleable. So, and the other word that I use a lot is multi-potentialite, which is kind of my word for, for someone like this. I, I coined the term, there are other 
terms that people use to kind of connote the same idea, like polymath or generalist or renaissance person. But I use pol- I use a multi-potentialite or multipod for short sometimes. And yeah, it just means that you're curious about a number of unrelated subjects and you don't necessarily feel like you have one true calling in life. Maybe there's a lot of different things that you want to do or try or experience. And yeah, un- you know, unlike say a polymath who is someone who's very accomplished in multiple disciplines, being a multi-potentialite is really about being curious and just wanting to explore. So that, that word's definitely, you know, a mouthful. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading up on you and doing some of the, some of the research before the show, I was like, multipotenta, you know, I have a little bit of mild <laughs> dyslexia, sure. so it threw me for a loop. You can split it up into three parts and that helps a little bit to go like multi-potential-ite. Got <laughs> but it. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. No, I like the term. And, and I think once you contextualize it and say, you know, it's kind of the same thing as a, as a Renaissance person or, or a polymath, mm-hmm. it's someone with a lot of diverse interests that mm-hmm. likes to tinker around and explore all kinds of unique and different things, right? Es- essentially. Yeah, exactly. It, it actually comes from the word multipotentiality, which is a term in psychology used to refer to people who display aptitudes across multiple disciplines. So it's kind of a play on that. Awesome. All right. So Tell me about, you know, one of the, one of the age old questions that people always get asked when they're growing up and, you know, even the age of, as, as you've shown in your Ted talk, the age of like three, five, et cetera, what are some of the dangers of, of asking somebody, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. So it's funny when, when you get asked this question as a little kid, it's seen as like this fun, innocent little game. Like let's, you know, the kid will be like, Oh, I want to be a dinosaur when I grow up. And everyone will be like, Oh, that's so cute. But as you get older, this question gets asked of you again and again, and it gets to be like a more serious question and people expect like a real practical answer. And the problem, one of the problems with this question is that you can't really answer it with like five or six different things, especially as you get older, people will kind of be like, okay, but now you have to choose, you know? And so you start to, to learn that you need to kind of narrow things down and pick one of your interests and kind of deny all of your other passions and let them go. And that, that actually isn't true. If you look around at the world and you look at successful people, really prominent cultural figures, people in your in your community, you'll see that a lot of people do multiple things and are actually really good at multiple things. But we grew up with this idea that you need to specialize. You need to really just narrow in on that one thing, you know, like your your destiny. It's almost like a romantic notion. And I definitely self-identify with with this sort of multi-potentialite idea. Mm-hmm. Because even in, you know, even in my bio, I just, I've described myself as an investor and an accidental podcaster. And so, you know, those two things in and of themselves are very kind of disparate and not necessarily connected. There's, there's, you know, deep things that sort of connect them once you understand how and why, but I, I definitely struggle with even answering that fundamental question, which I'm sure you, you know, you talk about as well is the idea of what do you do for a living? Right. And mm-hmm. that, that caters to this sort of specialist understanding of the world when in reality, you know, I do a lot of different things and they're very diverse and in some ways connected in some ways, totally disconnected. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that we're really encouraged in our culture to kind of identify with 
what we do for money. So like that, whatever that thing is, that is what you are, that is who you are. And that can be really inaccurate and, and also really hard to explain if you derive income from a number of different sources. So, so tell me more about this idea that the, the, the social narrative that often gets reinforced that we have this destiny, this one true calling. How do, you know, how do people get, get misled by that? And what can we do to, to combat against that? Well, it's everywhere. I mean, it's in our school systems. We're asked to choose a major. It's, we, we hear things about, you know, not being a quitter and jack of all trades, master of none. And it's just like really in our vocabulary. And the funny thing is it actually is a very, it very much comes from a specific time in history. So it really stems from at least the modern version of it stems from the industrial revolution, because back then we all had to kind of be a cog in the system. And that is how industry flourished. And, you know, through globalization, that model was brought to our school systems. So we think of it as, as this kind of innate thing, but really it's, it's social, it's historical and it's, it's everywhere. Like it's quite, it's quite ubiquitous in terms of combating that, I think just kind of realizing that it isn't like some sort of natural state, it's it's culturally based. So there are other times throughout history when the opposite was the ideal. So like during the Renaissance period, for example, you wanted to develop your mind in all areas like that. Those were the people that that everyone looked up to. And, and also, I think realizing that if you have many different passions and curiosities, there, there's nothing wrong with you. And actually, there are a lot of other people out there like this who are making it work. I think that goes a long way to help kind of combat this. So I want to I wanna attack this from a different angle a little bit. And I'm curious what your thoughts are, because, you know, anybody listening to this is either thinking this or has heard this if they, if they are a multi-potentialite. The idea that deep focus is necessary to be successful mm-hmm. and that people who have very different and, and sort of maybe disconnected interests are just lack focus and they're sort of drifting around without clarity in their lives. So tell right. me about how do you, how do you respond to someone who says you have to be a focus specialist in order to succeed? Yeah. So I don't, I think there's a little bit of a confusion or misconception there, which is I, I think multi-potentialites are actually very good at focusing. When we're into something, we go quite deep and we kind of dive in and we learn really fast because we're just so passionate about it. And I think that you know, this is where people confuse kind of multi-potentialites with ADHD. It maybe looks to the outside world like we're unfocused, but really we're quite focused. We just have a lot of different interests. So, you know, and, and also you might find a multi-potentialite who goes really deep, like spends, you know, their entire career going into one field. If that field is very multifaceted, you know, maybe it's a field like urban planning or sustainable development, where there's so many different areas that you need to understand just to work in that field. And so we don't look at that person and say multi-potentialite. We say, oh, specialist, but actually they're using a lot of different skills in their work. So what I find when I look around at the world and I, I've spent a lot of time talking with successful multi-potentialites, they, they tend to be quite focused and they tend to even be experts. You know, I think we, we assume that you can either be really good at one thing or you're just totally 
terrible at everything. And actually, there's a huge middle ground there. It is entirely possible to be very good at several things. What a great distinction. And, and you're right, the, the language we use around this almost precludes the understanding of it from that perspective, which is mm-hmm. this jack of all trades, master of none. In reality, people are so unique and different that it's it's entirely possible to be a deep expert in, in several different things at the same time. And I feel like we often fall prey to the presumption that just because you you have varied things that you're interested in, it's not possible for you to be well-versed in, in several of them. Yeah, for sure. And I think people look at it in, in this like theoretical, mathematical way. Like, you know, if you spend a hundred, if you spend 10,000 hours on this, but you only spend 2,500, whatever hours on something else, like you're going to be more skilled at this. But actually it, it doesn't really work that way. I mean, people are combining their skill sets and their interests and we're creating new things at the intersections and we're, we're integrating our ideas and connecting them. And it's not this linear thing. I mean, technical skill isn't all that matters. Sometimes it's about creativity and innovation and what you do differently as opposed to just being the, you know, world class or, you know, technically speaking. And I think that really segues into what you've talked and written about these, the superpowers that multi-potentialites have. But before mm-hmm. we before we dip into that, another thing that that just kind of brought to mind for me is this idea the idea of of both the and the interrelationship between the eighty twenty principle and the concept of diminishing returns, which is you know if you can if you can kind of step into uh, an area a domain of knowledge that interests you and you can get that twenty percent of knowledge that carries. 80% of the freight for understanding and mm. connecting and working with those ideas, there's massive diminishing returns to spending the other, you know, mastering the other 80% of that information that you're only going to get an additional sort of 20% of, of, of leverage out of. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I always, that makes me think of Tim Ferriss and he talks a lot about how you can become world-class if that is your goal in a much quicker time frame than people think. So he is someone who goes very deep, but he also has a lot of different skills and he's done a ton of different things. So, yeah. So let's, let's dig into those superpowers now. Tell me about what are some of the, the positives or the upsides and as you call them superpowers that, that multi-potentialites have and that they can leverage to, to succeed. Yeah. So I go through five in the book, the five that I go, and I'm sure that there are others, but the five that I go through are idea synthesis. So kind of taking two ideas or subjects that don't normally go together and creating something new at the intersection. And we tend to be really good at that because at kind of connecting those dots because we have all of these different backgrounds. So one of the examples that that your listeners might be familiar with in Steve Jobs's commencement speech at Stanford, he talks about how he dropped out of college and then he sat in on a calligraphy class, just one random calligraphy class. But that class became the inspiration for the beautiful typeface of the Apple computer years later. So there's an example of kind of smushing two things together that don't normally go together and creating something new and unique. The second one is rapid learning. And that just means, you know, we, we're we so used to being beginners and jumping into new things that it 
becomes kind of second nature to us. And uh, we're used to stepping out of our comfort zones and kind of diving in and getting past those early sticking points because we've done it so many times. We're, we also tend to be really passionate about things we become interested in. So like I mentioned earlier, we really dive in and learn all that we can in a, a short time frame. The third one is adaptability. So we can kind of take on different roles and perform different kind of tasks depending on what's required, what the, what, depending on the market even. You know, if you've got a variety of different skills and things kind of dry up in one area, you can lean on those other skills. Um, so we're, we're quite adaptable. We're kind of good at, at kind of taking new challenges, taking on new challenges and using our old skills to and build on them to pick up new skills. And that that's a huge asset in an economy that is changing so quickly. So the fourth one I go into, I believe, is big picture thinking. So we tend to be kind of the ones seeing the big picture. We have these big ideas. There's a huge overlap between multi-potentialites and entrepreneurs. And I think this is why, you know, we sort of have this idea of how things could be because we see how everything is linked up and, you know, we can spot kind of these bigger systematic problems and yeah, multi-potentialites tend, tend to be kind of passionate visionaries a lot of the time. And then what was my last one? Oh yeah. Relating and translating. So we are very good at, well, we're really fascinated by people, all kinds of different people. So we love learning about different things and we're really good at relating to people in different fields both because we're interested and because we might have a background in all those different things. I mean, you can usually find something to talk about with someone if you're really curious. And we're also very good at translating between people. So if you're working with a big interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary team and you've got designers over here talking one language and kind of the tech people, programmers over here talking another language, if you understand both worlds because you've maybe experienced both or you have skills in both areas, you can kind of help each team understand what the other one is saying and you can bring that bigger vision to light. I'd love to dig into to some of these and, and talk a little bit more. Tell mm -hmm. me about, you know, one of the ones that fascinates me as big picture thinking for, you know, for somebody who's listening, how can we, how can we cultivate the ability to be better big picture thinkers and what are, you know, why is that such an important skill set? Yeah. I mean, I think it's about the ability to kind of zoom out and see problems more holistically and to kind of pattern recognition is a big one, I think, for all of these, for a lot of these superpowers. So, so I think just like paying attention. And again, I feel like I'm, I've been asked, like, how do you come up with an idea for a business, but like paying attention to the problems and to what's going on and how it's affecting different people and how you can help and kind of learning to zoom out to see the broader context of what's going on. I'm not sure if that's if that's that very helpful, but I'm trying to think if there are specific skills. I think it's just a matter of practice and just learning to notice things and and to spot those connections and those patterns. And and I love you know specifically in the bucket of of idea synthesis, the 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 famous kind of story about Steve Jobs and and calligraphy. Mm -hmm. There's so many unconnected or or interconnected things that if if we experiment in different fields of study or different areas of knowledge, we can often draw these connections and bring things together that may not have been initially linked or create these whole new opportunities. Another story that 
uh, we actually we had we had some previous guests Art Martin and Bob Duke who came on and talked about uh, the the creation of the Dyson vacuum cleaner. It was the the, the founder <laughs> went to a lumber mill and saw how they were sucking up all this sawdust and said, "Hey, that's really interesting technology. You know, I wonder what other applications of that that may be." And eventually decided to turn it into a vacuum cleaner and became a very successful <laughs> company. So there's all of these really interesting ways that. As Steve Jobs says, you can't always know looking forwards how the various pieces of knowledge that you pick up are going to connect. But looking backwards, it makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Yeah, and I think that's comforting to think about because a lot of the times when we lose interest in a field, we might be like, oh, well, that was a waste of time and maybe money. But you never know how that knowledge is going to come back around and where you might apply it. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring the right person takes time, time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire, because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. So talk to me more about this, this, the, the idea of rapid learning and, and mm-hmm. adaptability and, and how we can, you know, how can somebody who's listening that maybe isn't uh, a multi-potentialite or even those who are, 
how can they master this this skill of rapid learning and cultivate it more effectively? Again, I think that it's it's practice. I think that it's really about getting comfortable with the, that early learning curve where you just feel really awkward and incompetent and um, realizing that that is the first stage to being like kind of good and then being better and then mass, eventually mastering it and just doing that again and again and again. And it's, it's pretty uncomfortable. I, I think a lot of people don't want to do it, but if you're interested in something and you've got this curiosity, it, it can help you kind of can push you to do that. I really think it's, it's just practice. I mean, there are all kinds of techniques out there to learn faster, but I think that having the passion that, that like for me anyway, that is what has fueled my learning. And if I'm not passionate about something, I have a much harder time learning it. <laughs> and in many ways, that's, it's almost like the idea of, of cultivating beginner's mind again and again. Mm -hmm. When you're when you're rapidly transitioning between different areas of knowledge, you're having to cultivate the the skill sets and the abilities to start from scratch and say, okay, what are the what are the big pieces I need to master first, so that I can kind of again going back to almost that eighty twenty thing again. How can I master the big chunks of knowledge that are the easiest to pick up that are going to give me most of the heavy lifting to really start to understand how the pieces fit together in this particular uh, world. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll also find that as you acquire more skills and dive into more things, it gets easier because you start to see, oh, this thing here is kind of like that other thing that I did. And so you're not really starting from zero. Tell me about you know, for somebody who's listening that that is is more of a is what what what's the opposite? Sort of a specialist? Is that what you would call somebody? Or I mean, that's the easiest way to frame it. It's it's a little bit challenging though because. Multipotential it's can sometimes look like specialists to the outside and really they're just they're they've got like a project, like a business, or they're like I said, they're working in an interdisciplinary field. So they're using a lot of different skills, but to the outside they look like they're specializing. So yeah, I guess I guess, you know, it's someone who really just has one focus and isn't interested in many other things and isn't particularly curious and just really likes going deep in one area and is pretty content with that. I guess what I'm trying to draw out is, is for people who are listening that aren't multi-potentialites, mm -hmm. what lessons can they draw from, from multi-potentialites that might help them in whatever field they're really going deep on? I mean, I think that exploring other things outside of your main work can be really beneficial. It can give you new ideas. It can kind of make your work stand out and, and make it a little bit more unique. Um, it can also provide a nice break, <laughs> which, which is good for energy levels. Um, and I, and I do think that specialists and multi-potentialites make really good teams because you've got someone who's kind of scanning the horizon and bringing in different ideas. And then you've got another person who's implementing and going really deep. So I think they both have value. I think there's two great points there. One of them is this idea that just dabbling in something else, another field of knowledge can help you bring back some really interesting lessons that you can cross apply to your primary domain of expertise. And, and the second one, which is something we haven't really necessarily touched on, but is, is underpinned most of this conversation is the idea that, you know, being either sort of a specialist or a multi-potentialite, there's not, there's no, no one is better than the other. And in fact, it's really that they're both very mutually complementary. And, and when you can mm -hmm. put these things together, 
figuring out, you know, do you lean more towards multi-potentiality or do you lean more towards specialization and find people who complement your skill set so you can really create a situation where one plus one doesn't necessarily equal two when you're combining forces like that. Right. Yeah. So one of the other topics that, that you that you've talked about and written about is how can how can a multipotentialite be financially successful in today's world? And what are some of the strategies that they can use, you know, because our economic structures in many ways are geared more towards rewarding specialization. So how can, what are some of the specific strategies that, that multi-potentialites can use to really succeed financially in, in today's world? Yeah. So this was the main question I wanted to answer when I started researching um, and, and, you know, working on my new book. And what I did was I interviewed about 50 multi-potentialites who self-described as being both happy and financially comfortable. And then I sent out a couple surveys and I got a few thousand replies to those. So I had a lot of data to work with. And I wanted to know how multi-potentialites make a living. And what I found is that there's no like holy grail career. Like there's no... I mean, I guess it's not that surprising, but there's no one job that works for every multi-potentialite. And I was finding, I was meeting people in all different fields, doing all kinds of different work. So what I was able to do is I, I realized that there are kind of these four work models, these four commonly used work models that, that multi-potentialites use. And you know, before I go into the four, I want to just point out that it is entirely possible to be a hybrid. And I never like to tell people to, you know, just choose one thing, especially not my audience. So you, you can mix and match these, you can customize this stuff. But I did find that there are kind of these four approaches. So the first one is what I call the group hug approach. And this is where you combine your interests in one multifaceted job or business. So maybe you work at a company that uh, maybe it's a smaller company where you get to kind of step out of your job description a little bit and propose different project ideas and wear many different hats. Um, maybe you're working in an interdisciplinary field where you're integrating your various interests and skills just to kind of work in that area. Maybe you're running a business because, you know, running a business means wearing a lot of different hats, especially at the beginning. There's so much that goes into it. There's product development, customer service, you know, legal finance, all this, all this stuff. So that's one approach. The second commonly used work model is the slash approach. And this is where instead of combining your interests, you've got a few separate distinct revenue streams that you kind of flip between over the course of a week or a month. So this is someone who is a prog programmer slash teacher slash stand-up comedian. You know, so they've got these very discrete jobs or businesses, these part-time things that they do. And the people that I've spoken to who use this work model, they, they tell me that part-time is, is kind of the dream, right? Like they love all, they love each of their different jobs for different reasons, but wouldn't want to do any one of them full-time. So this is a way to stick with a few different things and to still get that variety because this is, that's the piece that's really missing in a lot of conventional career advice, the need for variety, which is huge for multi-potentialites. So the third commonly used work model is the Einstein approach. And I called it that because Albert Einstein worked at the patent office for several years. He was basically employed by the government. So he had this very stable day job that took care of his financial needs. And then he explored his theories on the side. 
So this is what author Barbara Sherer refers to as a good enough job is where you have a job or even a, a one narrow lucrative business that will do it where it, it pays the bills and then it leaves you, it also leaves you with enough free time and energy to pursue your many passions on the side. So like this is someone, I, I interviewed a guy for the book named Charlie Harper, who is an IT director by by day, just straight up nine to five. And then he leaves the office and he goes to musical theater practice or acapella practice. And on the weekends, he builds furniture and he just recently builds a boat. So the beauty about this approach is that you don't have to worry about monetizing all of your little interests and everything that you become interested in, right? Because we're very curious. And um, so that can really take the pressure off. And for, it doesn't work for everybody, but for some people, the Einstein approach is, is a really is a really good fit. And then we've got the fourth commonly used work model, the Phoenix approach. And this is because if you think of, of a Phoenix kind of lives this glorious life, and then at the end, they erupt in flames and are reborn from the ashes. So this is someone who dives into a field, builds a career, and kind of when they feel like they've they've gotten their fill, like they kind of, yeah, you know, like I've, I've got this, I'm ready for a new adventure. They transition and begin a new career in a totally new field and kind of move through their passions one after in a sequential way. So one after the next, after the next with often with several years between each switch, as opposed to maybe a couple hours as with someone using the slash approach. It's so interesting. And, and I, and I, <laughs> I find it fascinating that you've interviewed all of these different people to to pull out this knowledge because I, I still it's so socially conditioned that that focus is good and distraction or you know having lots of little things going on is bad that I keep sort of circling back to this this question or fear or doubt of like but what about the fact that if I just focused on something I could be more successful Right. You could be, but if you're a multi-potentialite, at some point you might become bored and you might feel like you're not actually being challenged very much and you're just doing the same thing again and again and again. And I think Tony Robbins said that success without f fulfillment is the ultimate failure. There you go. <laughs> and, and, you know, another good example that even in just the naming of that approach, the Einstein approach, right? If you look at somebody like Einstein, tremendously successful individual, and you know, live on in the history books for for millennia, probably. Mm -hmm. And you know, he he was somebody who his his income was divorced from what he yeah. actually did. Yeah, for sure. And that that's the thing. Like this isn't you know, we have this idea that what we do for money is more valuable than the other things that we do in our lives. And and profitability does not necessarily equal value. There are a lot of other rewards to engaging with our interests. I mean, personal development and acquiring other skills and just enjoyment and, you know, connecting with other people. There's a lot of things that we can get out of something if, even if it isn't, you know, paying the bills. So it's okay to kind of separate the money and from the meaning and the variety, as long as you have all of those elements in your life. And and I think that echoes in many ways the same some of the same lessons that that Tim Ferriss talks about in the Four Hour Workweek, which is the idea mm -hmm. of get a business and get it so where it can support you, so that you can go do whatever you want to do. 
Yeah, I would say that that book really defines the the Einstein approach with with a self-employment slant to it. So kind of that that good enough business where you've got it's it's paying the bills, you're working as little as possible to get as, you know, for for it to support you and you really define your financial goals and then you have all this free time to go explore and to do all these amazing things. So one of the other topics that, that, you, that you've written about, and it's not directly related to, to what we've been going in, but I think it, it, it's very relevant to a lot of this, which is the idea of celebrating our failures. Can, can you tell me a little bit about that concept and, and what that means to you? Yeah. So we actually, a few years back, we did this thing called Failure Celebration Week on Putty Lake. And the idea was to just kind of take the stigma away out of out of failure and because we all do it we all have to try things and fail some or quote unquote fail sometimes to learn and often what looks like failure is really just you know feedback that's that's what people say and and it's just the sign okay like maybe i need to shift my approach and try something else and it's really a necessary step on the way to learning so for failure celebration week we just we all kind of shared people wrote different blog posts about their spectacular failures and often they were what led them to where they are now so they were just an, an integral part of their ultimate success it was cool too we had people using the hashtag fail week uh, and they were like oh i just i was doing the dishes and i got water all over my dress shirt hashtag fail week and we'd be like yay way to go and just to kind of take that stigma out of it and to be like everyone everyone fails all the time and it's okay and it's it's necessary it's a great point and and you know the one of the things that that we've talked about previously on the show is this idea that as charlie munger said who again is somebody that I'm a huge fan of, we talk about him all the time on here. He said that you only need to get rich once, right? And, and if you think about mm -hmm. that, what it means is you can fail a ton of times, but if you just succeed one time, that's all mm -hmm. that matters, right? If you just hit it, if you just hit a home run once in, in the financial sense, that's it, then you've made it. And so uh, we're so evolutionarily programmed and, 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 our, and our biology and our, and our minds are, are structured in a way that we want to avoid and minimize failure because of all the social repercussions and everything else. When in today's society, today's world, in, in almost every instance, it just doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. and, and in fact, fear of failure over a longer time horizon is actually much, much worse for you than, than trying and failing at, at a bunch of different projects. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that it, you can't hit that you know, that one win if you're not going to fail a bunch first. And I think it's it's quite true that if you look at a lot of really successful people, they have a string of failures before they kind of figure out what works. So what advice would you have for, for somebody who's listening that, that still doesn't know, quote, what they want to be when they grow up? <laughs> ah, well, I would say... Get a piece of paper out and start writing down all of your interests and passions and skills and getting it all out on paper. And when when I do this exercise with people in workshops and whatever, I always tell them like if you if you're becoming interested in something and you're, even if you're not that good at it yet, write it down. Get your interests on there too. If you're not sure whether to include something, include it. Just get everything out on paper, and from there you can start taking a look at what kind of maybe what kind of work model 
would be a good fit for you and what that might look like. So if you're thinking that the group hug approach, it sounds really nice to kind of combine your interests, what goes well together? Or, you know, could you bring knowledge from one area of interest to an audience related to another interest of yours? There's, there's a guy who has a really neat business called Marketing for Hippies. And he's got a background both in the marketing world and in the kind of green holistic nonprofit world. And he, so he, he takes marketing principles and translates it into a language that, that his audience can relate to, you know, because typically marketing principles do not appeal to the hippie audience, right? So is there something like that for you? Can you bridge a gap between two things that don't normally go together? Or is there a field that exists out there that is, uh, that is kind of an amalgamation of several of your interests. When it comes to the other work models for the slash approach, you might think like, which one of these skills could I monetize? And what would that look like if I paired three of these together and maybe picking three different ones just to kind of change it up so you're not doing the same thing all the time just to get that variety. For the, for the Einstein approach, you might think like, what is the quote unquote practical interest on this page? Like if I were to show this to a regular career counselor, what would they say, what, what, what would they tell me to do? And that's often a good way to start thinking about some good enough jobs. Or you could do kind of the Tim Ferriss approach and be like, which one of these skills is the most lucrative? Which could I turn into a really profitable business, even if it's super narrow? And then with the Phoenix approach, my favorite exercise for that is to pretend you've got 10 lives and to just make a list of what you would be in each of those lives. And that's a really cool way to start thinking about, you know, if I want to have one career for six to 10 years, I can do that and then switch to something else. And here what here's what that might look like. That's a great question. I love questions that pull you out of your own ego and, and the kind of the the things you use to distract yourself and talk yourself out of doing things and really give you clarity about where you want to go. And that, that's a great example of, okay, well, if I didn't have all of the social and emotional baggage that's telling me that I need to do mm -hmm. X, what would I do with 10 different lives? And that's a great, that's a great way to kind of break through some of that and really get clarity about the opportunities that you want to pursue. Yeah. And I think that the, the main issue here is that variety is not considered. I mean, that's it's just not a priority in a lot of conventional career models. So if, if you're if you know you're a multipotentialite or you think you might be one, then variety is really important to you. So you, you need to kind of figure out how you're going to get that variety. And that's what I really like about these these work models is I found that this was what people were using to. To, to get the variety that they need in their lives and in their careers. So I think just keeping that in mind that you don't need to choose one thing. Like you can have variety and also have the financial stability at the same time. So what would one piece of, of actionable, actionable advice or kind of homework you would give to, to a listener who wants to concretely implement some of the things we've talked about today? I mean, I think that the exercises that I just went through is a really good one. I think it's really important to get everything out of your head and onto the page, just somewhere, something visual that you can see and you move things around because it can be a little smushy if it's just ideas in your head. And I think, yeah, just kind of thinking about your different backgrounds and where things have led you and maybe some of the different skills that you've acquired and have uh, have implemented in 
like laterally in other fields and just taking stock of all of the things that you know and all the things that you've learned and all the things you're you're curious about and how that diversity has really enhanced your life and maybe getting a little bit clear on that and, and journaling a little bit on, on that can help. And for listeners who want to, who want to follow you and learn more, where can people find you and, and your blog and your book online? Yeah, they can learn more about the book at howtobeeverything.com. And if they want to swing by the community, check out the blog that can be found at puttylike.com, P-U-T-T-Y-L-I-K-E. Awesome. Well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing all your wisdom as a multi-potentialite myself. <laughs> this has been this has been really interesting and I've, I've a lot of this has resonated with me personally. So thank you for uh, for sharing all of uh, your knowledge with me. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Thank you so much for listening to the Science of Success. Listeners like you are why we do this podcast. The emails and stories we receive from listeners around the globe bring us joy and fuel our mission to unleash human potential. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every listener email. The greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps more and more people discover the science of success. I get a ton of listeners asking me, Matt, how do you organize and remember all of this information? Because of that, we've created an awesome free guide for all of our listeners, and you can get it by texting the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222, or by going to successpodcast.com, that's successpodcast.com, and joining our email list. If you want to get all this incredible information, links, transcripts, everything we just talked about in this show, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. Just go to successpodcast.com and hit the show notes button at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.